Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and we have Debbie Boone, the sequel today. Debbie Boone is one of our favorite people here at AHA, and um, we're so excited every time we get a chance to talk to her. Um, And she is back for another episode of the podcast today to talk about something very exciting, which we'll get into in a second. Debbie, welcome back. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for asking me back. I, you know, AHA, I drink the Kool-Aid. I always laugh and say that because I grew up in AHA practices. So I am always thrilled to do anything with, um, this association and some of the best people and great friends are all involved in us. So thanks for having me. Well, it's wonderful to have you. And um, I also want to send out a special thanks to Care Credit for supporting Central Line this year. Um, Care Credit was our very first sponsor who jumped on when Central Line did not even exist. And I am so grateful for their support. And um, we actually had a, you know, a meeting of the minds recently where they were like, we want to have Debbie back because they are also supporting and very excited about your new book, Hospitality and Healthcare. Yes, yes. Tell yes. us tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think, uh, first of all, I'm going to tell you how it came about, because it really is one of those networking flukes. I was at the ABMA convention last year, and I had a cup of coffee with a friend of mine, Brenda Andresen, and I said, you know, I've got this book in my head. I've always wanted to write it, but I just can't make myself sit down because there's so many other things I'm doing. So two weeks later, I get this call from Brenda going, hey, you know what, that book? Care Credit would like to uh, help you and sponsor your writing of this book. And I went, really? She said, yeah, can you get it done by AVMA? I went, oh, my gosh. That meant I had to write a book in three months. <laughs> yes. So wow. on top, Yes. Yeah, so on top of all the other work I was doing and, and speaking and presentations and client work, I cranked out a book in three months. Now, you may think, holy crap. Um, but the truth was, it was in my head. I knew mm. what I wanted to say, and I had been speaking about this stuff for so long. It was just the motivation I needed to sit down and put it out on paper, and here it is. It really is. So this book is a little different. Um, it was written broadly, not specifically for veterinary hospitals, but for medical caregivers, because I talk about experiences from managing hospitals and teams and client situations that come up. But I also talk about being a patient because I am a 20 year breast cancer survivor and my experience through the good and bad of human health, I pull those experiences into because it, they all make a difference how we treat our patients, how we treat our clients and our patients. That is so true. Um, so, so true. And the the subtitle, so your book is Hospitality and Healthcare, How Top Performing Practices Boost Team Happiness and Give the Best in Care to Their Patients. And I really love that because it knits so much stuff together into one title. You know, you're talking about melding um, healthcare with a hospitality field, which we really are, whether we want to be or not mm-hmm. <laughs> on any That's given true. day. Yeah. And also you're relating it to how to how much happier and and more balanced a team can feel um, when when they're doing this right, and um, of course the patients benefit, patients and oh, clients. So absolutely, yeah, 
Yeah, well, you know, we we are trained in animal health to think about animal well-being. We even talk about, you know, fear-free um, and, and training for animal behavior. Mm-hmm. But we don't pay attention to the fact that humans are animals at the top of the chain. And yeah. we need to use all those same tools that we use to make a patient's experience good is to make the client experience good, to, to bond them to us in our practice, to uh, build trust in relationships with those clients. Because I can tell you from personal experience, once you work in a practice like that, you life is so easy. I mean, your clients don't fuss at you. They say yes to all the stuff you offer them. You're not constantly battling people uh, who think that you're only in there to only in there for the money. I mean, how many times have we heard that? So the battle winds down. I mean, you might have a skirmish every now and then, but it's not an everyday thing. In fact, it's, it becomes really rare. And I just wanted to share with people how that happened. You know, how do you get that to to work in your hospital and how do you build that culture that is built on relationships? It's not it's not about the task. You know, not everybody in my practice was the most skilled person at medicine, but we were really, really good at people. Yeah, which is sometimes a much, much harder skill to teach yeah. and learn. <laughs> so, so that's why books like yours are so important. Um, and I'm really, I'm excited from a purely selfish level because I'm getting to talk to a lot of authors lately. Yeah. And it's very exciting because I love books. Grew up, you know, with my nose in a book, like was the kid with the flashlight reading under the covers, you know, after bedtime, like stacks of library <laughs> books at a me time. Too, yeah. And you could tell just by looking behind us like what's important to us, right? Exactly. Before this, we were talking about how we have to be read piles that will last outlast us for sure, which yes. is, is a good way to be. Um, but I was wondering if you could talk to one author, living or dead, who would it be? You know, you asked that question. I thought, wow, I think talking to Mark Twain would be the most fun. Oh, he would be fun. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I just, and plus his insights on how people work, because mm. he understood as this kind of pragmatic point of view of how people manipulate each other, you know, what's important to people and how uh, there was humor in all of it too. So I Mm -hmm. think finding the humor in everyday life is, is what makes life much easier for us. If we can just look back and just take, you know, go, Oh my gosh. And laugh. You, You might as well laugh. I love that answer. That was not what I expected at all. You know, Mm -hmm. I was expecting like a business author or like somebody like that. But I love that answer because it it surprised me, but I can totally see it. Um, Okay, so let's get into your book. Uh, Sure. I had the chance to read a little excerpt of it. And I loved something that you did in there, which we don't see that often, which is that you talked really candidly about your experience as a patient, Mm. um, which requires a certain amount of um, self-awareness and a little bit of bravery, I think, for a lot of people, it wouldn't even occur to them to do that. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit of that story. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I've, I've said many times out on my podcast and talking to others that I am a 20 year breast cancer survivor. And I put that out there because I could remember being a breast cancer patient and, and having somebody come up to me and say, it's been 20 years was like somebody gave water to a drowning man because that just adds to your 
hope that you will make it through. So I've always been really open about that. And the fact that I've kind of been through the gamut, I had chemotherapy, radiation, mastectomy, and reconstruction. So you name it, they did it to me. And when I started that journey, um, I tell the story in the book because it was not, it was kind of bumpy to begin Mm. with. And I went to my sister-in-law, who was a plastic surgeon, and I had had uh, fibrocystic um, lumps removed before. I was kind of used to that. So I found another one. It was making me uncomfortable because I was sleeping on it. It was kind of pushed up against a rib on my left side. So I went to Marianne. I said, do do you think you can aspirate this cyst? And she said, sure, just come on over to the office. I'll, I'll do it for you. Well, as she tried to aspirate it, it was solid. There was nothing there. So I could tell by the look on her face, she was starting to get a little panicky. She sent me over to a radiologist. The radiologist that she referred me to wasn't there, so I got her associate. Well, I'm laying there on the table waiting to get an ultrasound and having had uh, a non-conclusive uh, MRI. I mean, uh, uh, oh, yeah, mastectomy. I mean, yeah, I'll get it there, mammogram. And the doctor is talking over my head. It's like I'm not there at all, like an inanimate object. And she's talking about her impending visit from her mother-in-law because her mother-in-law apparently is kind of a witch and she's <laughs> really and stressed. she's talking that, to someone else. Yeah, right? she's not talking even to you. her nurse. She's just talking over my head and she's telling all this stuff about, you know, the cleaning the house and buying the groceries and, and how stressed she was. And I can't help but laying there thinking, you are not the most stressed person in the room. I am the person who's laying here waiting to find out if they have cancer and you are completely ignoring me. So there was no empathy. It was just, and the, and the second thing that she did was uh, say, you need to come back because your sister-in-law's messed around in there and now there's so much blood, we can't see anything. So basically she just kind of threw her under the bus is, you know, from one professional to the other. And I was like, hmm, not, that was not professional at all. And then, you know, it took me three different times back before they finally decided to do um, and take um, uh, a sample so I could have a pathology report. So they came back, uh, called me back and told me to come back uh, October 1st. Breast Cancer Awareness Month begins my husband's birthday. So it's easy for me to remember. They sent me in the x-ray room with a bunch of equipment and sitting on the back of one of those like mechanic rolling stool with no back on it. And a doctor came in who I had never seen before that I later found out was just an intern who was just there shadowing. And they sent her in to tell me I had breast cancer. So she says, I'm sorry, Miss Boone, you, I'm sorry to tell you, you have breast cancer. Well, you know, I've been in medicine a long time. So I said, what kind? And I think she was stunned by the question because she looked at me and goes, the usual kind. And then I said, could I please see my pathology report so we can move on with this? And, and, and she didn't know what to do about that. because. I, but I, I look around and I thought, you know, if I had been prone to falling apart, yeah, there was I was in a fairly open place because you people were walking by all the time. Um, I was sitting kind of in this room that was like a dungeon because they hadn't turned the lights on. It was dark, but there was windows, but there was still dark. And then um, if I had broken down into tears, there was not even a box of Kleenex there. So it was just so inappropriate and so unthoughtful for me, the patient, and for somebody who grew up in the restaurant business, thinking about serving others and hospitality, 
that's just the way I was raised. And I always like this, like Southern, you know, it's, it's the mm. cliche of Southern hospitality, but it's the thing, you know? Yeah. So how did we veer off the path? What could they have done better? And I talk about that in the book, going through and saying, here's the, here was the points of uh, connection that they had opportunity to make. Um, and so after I got diagnosed, of course, they sent me over to an oncologist and the oncologist, uh, my husband had met me by then. We were there, looks at my little one page paper chart. Remember, it's 20 years ago. He doesn't look at me. He shook my hand and said, you know, hello, and never offered any empathy. Just said, here's what we'll do. Da, 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 da. Didn't even kind of involve me in it. And when we walked away, my husband looked at him and said, he will not be your doctor because to you, you are, he is, you are a chart number. You, mm-hmm. He doesn't care. Yeah. So fortunately, I had um, some connections and networked myself into Duke to one of the top oncologists in the country. And I was treated there. And my experience at Duke was 180 degrees different. Mm. Um, it was empathetic. I, somebody, he touched my hand. He felt sorry for me, told me, we got this, we'll be with you. And I felt like I had a teammate to get me through it. I did not feel like I was alone anymore. But even the CSR at the front desk at Duke, and this is so funny, I was talking to uh, uh, one of the Zoetis reps yesterday who was also treated there. And I was talking about this receptionist and she said, you're talking about Queenie. And I said, yes, 20 (laughs) years later, she said, everybody that walked in, she knew them. She knew their family. She, she just knew. And she was encouraging and she was a cheerleader and she was at the front desk of a, of a huge hospital oncology office, but she always made you feel like you were the only patient there. And those are kind of hospitality experiences that I'm talking about, but we can do that in a veterinary practice yeah. if we just take the time and it doesn't take much time. It just takes awareness and a little bit of effort. Yeah. And, and arguing with a client who doesn't feel treated well, does that takes a lot of time and emotional energy. Oh, so yes. yeah, <laughs> um, I, I this really resonated with me because I'm sure that I'm not the only one listening to you tell that story who has had similar experiences in the human medical world. I mean, um, as we get older, you know, if we're lucky, I guess we see the doctor more as we get older because we didn't have to that much when we were younger. And I definitely have had a couple of years where since the pandemic, really, where I've been, um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of doctors for a couple (laughs) of major things. And, um, yeah, it is night and day difference how you go into a medical procedure, for instance, um, if you feel like you've been heard before you get there mm-hmm. and you know that the doctor knows everything in your chart and everything that you've told them. Um, and I go to a network of hospitals in Boulder, of doctors in Boulder that I don't live in Boulder. I actually live pretty far from Boulder, but I go there because they were so great to me the first time I went that now that's just the default is I look for mm-hmm. doctors in that network because they are they are great and their teams are great mm-hmm. and they never make me feel rushed or um, like I'm silly or, um, yeah. you know, like I'm just kind of a gnat to be brushed off. And yes, we have all done that, I think, in vet med. We have all either brushed someone off or wanted to (laughs) Um, because we're stressed and busy. And and Uh I get that. Like I've been so stressed 
But what you said about you not being the most stressed person in the room really Mm -hmm. sank in. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't matter how bad a day we've had. There's a very good chance that the client you're sitting across the table from is very anxious. Yes. Um, Yes. So I, I just... I think that connection really brought this home so quickly um, in the part of the book that I read. And um, it made me really want to see where you went with that. So I'm excited yeah. to read the rest of it. Uh, but you also talked about something uh, in that chapter. Um, you talked about how it can be really human nature to sort of dehumanize an other. I'm mm-hmm. saying other as a verb. Um mm-hmm other people and right. it makes it easier to not treat them well when we do that whether yes. or not that's the goal right and i think this is something that probably is pretty common you've been in a lot of vet practices mm-hmm. um have you seen a lot of this you know it's not blatant yeah but it's it's subtle yeah. and i think that's where we miss the cues that how subtle this is i'll give you an example so my publisher uh, is a woman and she talks about um, being adopted. And when you go into the doctor's office, they want you to fill out your family history. She said, I don't have family history. So even as something as simple as understanding that on the form, you could put, if you were adopted and you don't know your family history, just check this box. And then even when she writes on it, people still don't pay attention to it and they still go and they ask her and she, it upsets her because she says, I don't know it. And, I, and nobody is listening to me. So it comes back to being heard and paying attention to people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can tell you that it, sometimes you go and you judge people and you, you look at their clothing and you think, oh, he'll never afford what I'm going to offer. So I won't even bother to offer. And for many years, uh, I did some work with Zoetis and did lunch and learns. And they always made me ch- tell this what I call the chicken story, but, and I tell it in the book, but we had a client come in one day who was not actually not our client at that time. And it was Saturday morning. And this is an 11 doctor practice. So it's open 24 hours a day. It's, it's usually a zoo all the time. And he comes in carrying a chicken under his arm and he wants to be seen by the veterinarian. And we say, sure, whatever, you know, so we put him in and we find out that this chicken has tried to cross the road and didn't quite make it. And she broke her leg. So she needed a surgery with an orthopedic pin placement. So we talked to our surgeon. She goes, yeah, I can do it. And we go and give this man an estimate for this chicken. Now you've got to figure this is like 2006. The estimate's over $700. And chicken at that time, you could buy one for two bucks, right? She just got a new chicken. Anyway, he says, sure, let's do it. And puts his deposit down and leaves Henrietta for us to do her orthopedic pin placement. Yeah. Well, you know, three days later, he comes back, picks her up, pays his bill. You know, he's absolutely thrilled because he was stunned at the level of care. And then as we find out the whole story at that point in time that he had been to two other veterinary hospitals. And the first one, now you've got to figure, this is rural North Carolina. The first one was his regular vet. And she said, I'm sorry, I just don't know anything about poultry. Uh, you you got to go somewhere else. And the second one was this old school guy up there. And um, he looks at him and says, man, you know, this is a chicken. Ring his neck, eat it for lunch, move on. Well, that was kind of a horrible story for us to hear. And he didn't appreciate it much either. So he left and came to us with the chicken where she got care. But then we find out that he's a human physician and we've done all this, you know, complicated surgery. And he goes back and tells everybody at the hospital what we've done. And we got this whole great new client referral base coming from Uh. all these people at the hospital. And he transferred all his animals to us and he had 20 pets. He was a hobby farmer. 
wow. and someone who transferred all of them. So this is the story of not judging people. You don't know. And I've had, you know, I've, I've ran uh, hospitals for 23 years and uh, worked the front desk a lot. And I was always the one who did the money talks and stuff. But I've had clients who I knew were multimillionaires refuse something as simple as Remedil for their dog. Yeah. And people of modest means hand me a credit card and say, take care of my animal. If you need something else, I'll go find another credit card. I'm like, I gotcha. So we, we can't judge people by what they look like because you don't know. And you don't know the animal's place in the home either because that matters too. And you can't change that. That is yeah. their perspective. You got to change. The other one is in our, in our practice, we had a big deaf school that a lot of people came from for all over the United States to learn and many deaf clients because of it. And so one of our groomers spoke American Sign Language and she spoke the shortcut version, not the where you have to spell everything out. Right. So it was great. We They knew we had an interpreter. Could we have written notes back and forth? We could have. But these were all things that we made sure that people knew we had available. And those are thinking outside the box, right? Mm-hmm. They're thinking over yourself. And then also understanding your own biases, because a lot of times we feel, oh, we're a good person. We're kind to everybody. We're not biased. Yeah, you are. Yeah. It, it depends on how you grew up and what your circumstances are around you. And we also have to understand that our brain evolved when we were growing up in tribes of people. So we, our, our limbic brain kicks in when anything's a little bit different, right? And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, are they dangerous or, you know, do, are they like my tribe? You know, do I need to watch out? But when you know that stuff about yourself, you can catch your brain going down the rabbit hole and stop and go, now that's nonsense, right? This is yeah. foolishness. I need to stop and talk to myself and go, this is ridiculous. But that's that's human nature. That is our brain uh, telling us lies. I, I give a whole session about this at mm. ABA and, and we do tell ourselves lies yeah. um, and we don't realize that we do it a lot of times. You know, we just... yes. It's, it's, I love that, that implicit bias study Mm -hmm. from Harvard and I encourage people and I encourage them in the book to go and take that implicit bias because we are biased no matter what our skin color, no matter where we live, no matter how liberal we think we are. Yeah. You're biased because you grew up in a community of people who told you what to believe. And so true. Mm -hmm. And even like like you say, a lot of it's unconscious. A lot of it is mm-hmm. stuff that you may not even realize until after you take the implicit bias assessment, which yes. I'll link to in the notes because that is really good. Um, and and just see if if you actually do have one because it's not about conscious um, reaction. It's not mm-hmm. about looking at someone and saying, "Oh, that person is X." It's about mm-hmm. the connections that your brain naturally makes, which mm-hmm. is something that we're, like you say, we're wired to do. And it helps us process all of the bazillion things that we yes. take in every single day. We yes. have to make associations without thinking about them, or we would be literally overwhelmed. And we'd just be like catatonic because we couldn't process anything. Just too much information yeah. overload. So we yeah. sort it, we sort it out into things that make sense. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to think about um, those things that come over on social media. We're the letters are all screwed up, but you can still read it. Yes. That's, that's our brain's job. It, it yeah. figures that stuff out, sorts it, and makes it logical as best it can. But sometimes the logic is wrong. And right. that's when we have to step back. And that emotional intelligence kicks in that says, okay, does this make sense? What am yeah. I doing to myself? What am I doing to other people? 
And am I just basically entrenched in my beliefs to the point where I can't learn anything new? No, I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to be learning all the time. I'm going to read you a message from our sponsor from their perspective, not mine, because it really reflects why we're so excited and grateful to have them as a partner for Central Line and for so many initiatives at AHA. Care Credit and Pets Best are proud to be educational sponsors of this unique and much-needed book from author and veterinary consultant Debbie Boone. We are thrilled to bring you this podcast with Debbie and Katie, focused on the power of embracing a hospitality mindset. Imagine enjoying your work while reaping the respect and appreciation you deserve from the people you serve each day. Imagine a team excited to come to work on Monday mornings. Hospitality can help transform your day-to-day experience for the betterment of every person involved in healthcare. Through positive motivation, empowering actions, and touching stories from her 35 years of experience, Debbie's book and personal passion is all about boosting team happiness and providing the best in care for your clients and patients. So order your copy today. Yeah. Yeah. Hence all the books, right? Yeah. (laughs) Hence the to be read pile that is never ending. What a gift that is. It Um, is. But it is, I heard somebody on a podcast once, and I wish I could remember who this was, but I heard them say that the first reaction is what is, it might be your bias. It's what culture has taught you. Mm -hmm. And then the conscious processing of that. And then the no, stop. This is just what you've learned. This isn't the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, That's who you really are. And Mm -hmm. I think that really helps because none of us want to think about ourselves as biased. But the fact is, like you say, we all are and it's unconscious and it's something society has drilled into us for whatever reason. And um, like I, you know, I do a lot of reading um, about uh, weight inclusivity and it's the same thing. You know, we have Mm -hmm. these biases against people who are in larger bodies and we judge them um, right away unconsciously, but so much of what we learned is wrong and it's social conditioning. Mm -hmm. And um, so treating everybody uh, the way you would want to be treated is the simple, very ancient rule that is sometimes harder to follow than it is to say, but um, at the root of hospitality. And I think when people read the word hospitality, like I, my unconscious bias kicks in and I think, oh, they're saying the customer's always right kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that is not what hospitality is at all. No, no, because the hospitality comes with listening to people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I talk about in the book, the three, what I call the three rungs of the stool. And so you have to observe people to see how you can serve them well. You have to anticipate something that they might need. And then you also are going to make it personal because it, we've all been the experience, the cookie cutter. Thank you very much. And you knew that it was they didn't thank me very much. They didn't even pay attention to me at all. <laughs> so it really comes down to how much attention are you paying to people? And when people feel like you are really trying to connect with them, even if you screw up, it's OK, because they can see that you really are trying yeah. And it's it's like pronouncing somebody's name who is maybe from a foreign country. I've done this so many times. I, it's really important that I get it right. Please let me practice with you. And people appreciate that you're taking the effort rather than just, can I just call you Joe? You know, and right. <laughs> no, yes. you can't call me Joe. No. So, yeah. So we, we don't. And, and that that's a little microaggression, isn't it? You mm-hmm. know, when you say when you discount somebody's name. 
Um, we need to pay attention to those little things. Uh, to, somebody said to me, oh, but you know, I get, especially when people make me mad, it's really hard to do this. But I said, try to picture yourself as uh, the lens of a camera. You're a telephoto lens. And so like Katie and I are sitting here, we're having a kind of an intimate conversation together and everything's going good. But if Katie starts to get upset, then I need to, in my mind, rather than getting closer into that conversation and, and zooming in, I need to zoom myself out and look at it as, as an outside observer in this situation and goes, okay, what did I say that, that tripped? Whatever this trigger is that made her upset. And let me backtrack in my mind. Let me listen more intently. Did I miss a cue somewhere along the line? And so you're pulling that lens back and looking at the big picture rather than getting right back into it because you can't diagnose it that way. Mm, yeah, it's hard to see the label from inside the jar, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it takes a little bit of the blame out of it too when you say, okay, this is a conversation in which something has gone a little a little wrong. Mm -hmm. This is a conversation between two people where one person has said something that triggered the other one a little bit. And what, what was that thing versus like, why does she think I'm a bad person? Right. Um, which is so easy to do when you're emotional. And, um, so, so say you're in a clinic, um, especially if you're not in a leadership position, because mm -hmm. I know, you know, as a leader, there are lots of resources out there. You have a lot of power if you are in a position like a manager or practice owner where you can make changes or you can call a meeting about something. But say you're on a veterinary team and you feel like this is happening, like mm -hmm. there's some client shaming going on or people are judging clients for not being able to afford treatment or for not communicating clearly. Mm -hmm. How can you sort of bring this up and try to help your practice nip it in the bud? One of the things I consistently train managers and teams, ask questions, ask questions. Because when we come at something and go, you know, I really didn't like what you said about Mrs. Jones. I don't think that was very nice. Then event, I, I kind of feel attacked. Mm -hmm. But Get instead defensive. of go, yeah, instead of go, you know, can I ask you why you felt it was all right to say that about Mrs. Jones. Maybe it made me uncomfortable. So tell me what you're, tell me what you were thinking about that. And people go, gosh, you know, I really probably wasn't thinking at all. And really that was kind of mean for me to say, what, yeah, maybe we can all try to do a little bit better in the future. So we don't come at it like an adversary. We come yeah. at it as a collaboration and curiosity. Um, I, I trained this the same way for when we were have people who are on your team and, Maybe somebody is chronically late and instead of going, you're always late, it's going to say, what's going on in your life? Because, you know, it might be that two-year-old that has decided that every morning he would rather go to school naked right. than put shoes <laughs> on. And, and, and it happens. It really happens. And, and Or they're looking after an elderly parent who has dementia. I mean, there's so many things that complicate our lives. And giving some people grace, an opportunity to do better, you know, I always assume people are doing the best they can. Yeah. Yeah. I love uh, that. You probably, I don't know if you listen to Brene Brown's podcast, but, or, and read yeah. her books and you'll see about five of her books back there behind me. Same. <laughs> but I just, yeah, but I just love the, the idea that she said, always assume that they're just doing the best they can. Oh. <laughs> and, and they're going back to the hospitality thing. We do that to new people coming mm -hmm. in too. We, we do. That, there's yeah. that old storming, norming, and forming adage where people come in and, people are, you know, like the day one, they might be nice, but then a couple of days into it, it's like, Oh, this girl is incompetent. And they start right. 
the chatter behind their backs instead of going, let me go help you do this and be better at it. Or tell me what you don't understand and let me teach you. It's, it's like, eh, I'm so much better than them, right? This is the, this is the attitude. Oh, I'm so, I was never this bad as a baby tech. I'm so much better than them. I can't believe that they hired this incompetent person, but you forgot how incompetent you were the day you walked yeah. in the door. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when I walked in that door that first day and I was like, I have an ear infection appointment and I have no idea how to treat it. <laughs> you know, I knew how to balance like a, ma- a crazy endocrine nightmare, but I did not know how to treat a simple the ear simple infection. With the medication we had on, on, yeah. we have all been there, and um, judging is just going to make make the cool. the environment very uncomfortable for everybody. It does, it does. Yeah. you know. And the other thing is, if if you're afraid to make a mistake, mm-hmm. or you're afraid to confess your mistakes, which mm-hmm. is really bad for patient care. Yeah, there was a really interesting study in human health, and they had a a culture where it was absolutely okay and encouraged to go and say, I screwed up. And then there was the other one that's, you know, was so secretive about making mistakes because they figured they were going to get nailed to the cross that they wouldn't, they wouldn't say anything. So the culture that had the, the great culture actually made more mistakes or documented more mistakes than the one who didn't, but they had much better patient outcomes. Why? Mm. Because they confess their mistakes and work together to fix it. And yeah. the other ones hid them. And because of that, the mistakes kept being made over and over and over again. And the people who suffered were the people who were at the hands of these people yeah. in, in, in really sick situations in the hospital. So I think building a culture and, and having a hospitality culture um, that makes people feel safe. And I know Josh talks about this a lot in his book, Thrive. And it, that's just, I love that book. It's just, I'm so happy that he got it out there and that you guys published it. But you've got to make people feel like it's okay to be uh, wrong because yeah. we're all human. We all make mistakes and we all screw up. And, you know, I laugh and I tell a story. I, I forgot to come to work one day. And I, I am the hospital administrator <laughs> of this practice. <laughs> And and I was filling in for somebody on vacation at the front desk, and I just slap forgot I had to work Saturday morning. So I about ten o'clock it dawned on me I was supposed to be there at eight, and I called the office and I went, I am so sorry, I am so embarrassed, but I screwed up. I just forgot. And uh, I said, why didn't you guys call me? And they went, well, you're the boss. We thought maybe you just didn't want to go to work. I went, no, I just screwed up. <laughs> I love that. We should have failure Fridays. At all oh, my God. All of, that would be, all of yeah. our team talks about something we screwed up this something week. Something we screwed up. God, it's the truth. Yeah, that sounds good. I think I'm going to pitch that. Yeah. But, but um, you know what? Then that made, that made my team realize that it was yeah. okay. You know, just yeah. confess. You got warts. <laughs> there they are. Totally. Move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, and I'm sure they did not forget that. Uh, no, no. Just that they, one moment of authenticity was they like worth on me 12 for a staff long, meetings. <laughs> picked on me for a long time about it. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that. It, you know, messing up is just part of life. So we, we succeed or we learn, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, well, I, I really like that, um, that intersection that we were just talking about between like, treating clients this way, you know, where we're not judging and we're giving them a chance to be who they are and to tell us what they need. And then we actually listen. And then we're also doing the same thing for each other. Um, it, it doesn't have to be that different, I guess, is, no. is what, 
what I'm getting at. Yeah. No, the skills, the skills translate. And the other thing is, remember mm-hmm. that you're living at home with people too. And so those skills yeah. you can take home. And so many times work might be the safe haven for people who are living in dysfunctionality in their home. But if we can, sorry about the dog barking, if we can make it so that <laughs> the um, the skills we bring in, the listening skills, the, the giving grace, the positive intentions, uh, we're bringing those to our homes too, then our family is going to improve. Communication will improve within our family and life gets better inside the yeah. clinic and outside the clinic. Definitely. Yep. <laughs> do you, do you have the prime? It's the prime man outside or something. <laughs> no, it's, it is almost time to eat. And so he uh, wants to make sure that I don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As for once, um, Frank is very quiet back there. He's just snoozing on his little bed. Tucker so. loves, he lives for mealtime. He is one food driven dog. Same, same. He is not going <laughs> to let me forget that it's almost time. Yeah. Well, um, okay, then I have a couple more questions and we'll, sure. and we'll let Tucker eat. He's so well, cute. If I can't go pick him up and he'll be quiet. Do you want me to go pick oh, him up? Sure. Yeah. We have a fluffy guest with us. Yes. Um, Tucker Boone, thank you for joining us. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you about another book that is very popular um, among management circles. Uh, it's called If Disney Ran Your Hospital. And um, it's a little hard to get hold of these days, but it is, it is still super popular. But it's yeah. not veterinary specific. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering what makes your book different from that and other books that have to deal with like, with hospitality and healthcare. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a huge fan of Disney Mm -hmm. and their attention to detail. And I do quote um, the book, not that one, but actually Disney actually has a book about how to serve, how to do, how to do hospitality and service Disney style. And it's free. You can get it on Amazon. It's free, but it, it is really about how do you take that mindset and bring it into veterinary medicine. Because there's so many things that we have to talk about, finance with people, Mm -hmm. and thinking about anticipation of need. Well, you know, $250 to $400 can often be so far out of reach for someone that the pet doesn't get care. So what can we put in place that says, you have a system for this. And if we don't have a system, and if you can't get the finance, then we have another system. And if we don't have that other system that works, then we have a third system in place that we have a charity, you know, in our hospital. So it is really thinking about if I were in that situation and there's been many times in my life when I could have been in that situation, Mm -hmm. then what can I do for you? I feel like that's the mindset is what can I do for you? So we talk a little bit about, you know, putting those systems in place and having ideas Many years ago, and you, this is still on my website, I created a charity list. So I went to the internet and I found all the animal charities and I put them on one piece of paper so that my clients could find help. If I, I wasn't going to do the work for them, but I was going to give them the, the, the tools, you know, the, the systems there that people could utilize. And the other thing were just ideas like crowdfunding and pawning things and going for title loans and asking your boss for an advance. Because when we were talking earlier, we were talking about the stressed people and the clients Mm -hmm. are the stressed people. And when our brain is in stress, we can't think. 
Yeah. It's it's the reason when we are trying to help a dog, it can't logically think, oh, these people are trying to pet me and calm me down. It just thinks you're trying to kill it. So we have to treat humans the same way and realize that the other thing when we're talking about hospitality in in our teams is when people are so feel like they're under attack all the time or they're being judged a lot, they can't learn. That's the other thing that happens where our brain goes in lockdown. So we just need to have systems in place so that we can say, you know, we might not have the ability to do in-house billing, but here's all these other things that we have. We put them in place because we understand that this can be expensive. And it's amazing to me, looking back over my career, how elaborate care is now comparatively. And, and those things are expensive. I've been in specialty hospitals and seen twelve and $13,000 bills walk out the door. Pet insurance is a good uh, yes. cushion for that. And I <laughs> certainly encourage people. That was the first thing that Tucker got was insured because yeah. I've been there and I've seen it. And I don't want to ever have to make a judgment that's based on um, financial euthanasia. But, you know, those are those are things that we can do um to anticipate the needs of people ahead of time. And that is, that's service. That is making it personally giving service. And, you know, the other thing is we don't talk about money in the middle of the lobby with people. We take them back to a private place and talk to them in, in private about financial matters instead of it, sharing it there in the line at the front desk. It's not the way that you should be doing those things. Yeah, those are really good points. And, um, and, that really highlights the need for veterinary specific resource about Mm -hmm. this too. Um, Because as wonderful as other hospitality, you know, and healthcare resources are, uh, they don't, they don't see the specific needs of a veterinary client and the veterinary team, which we sort of are, we wear a lot of hats. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I, I'm really glad that you've put this together because I think that's something that there's been a hole and I can't think of a better person to write it. Oh, thank you very much. Very excited to see the book in its, its whole self at AVMA. And, um, you know, you had mentioned, actually, I was going to ask you what people in, in different roles in the hospital could do to, to improve the hospitality at their Mm -hmm. practice in any role. And you actually just named a couple that people could just take and run with right now. Is there anything else off the bat that you can think of somebody who's really passionate about this could start doing right away? Absolutely. I mean, the bonding ideas are endless. And in the book, there's a whole list of them. Oh, love that. But just some, some, like, one of the cutest ideas I've I've run across, and I, you know, I taught the Patterson classes for 11 years and trained probably 10,000 people in those classes. But the students would always bring wonderful ideas. And one that I loved was the um, certificate of bravery. So when your animal came in and he got neutered, then he got a little certificate of bravery and it was signed by his doctor and it went home with the client. And those, just those little kind of touches, um, Mm -hmm. Mary Gardner and Danny do a wonderful job about talking about the euthanasia Mm -hmm. experience. But what about new puppy and kittens and, you know, taking pictures of them for their, the the pet parents and Mm -hmm. then putting in, you know, watch them grow in the internet. Some things that we used to do in our practice, people would send us Christmas cards. And this practice was long established. And I kept a scrapbook of them. And you could see the children grow and the pets get old and the owners age. But they loved it because they would, I mean, this really shows that this is a relationship. This is not Mm -hmm. something that goes in the trash after you got it off the wall at Christmas. 
it was important to us. And we kept those things and had them in a, a notebook. It was a, a photo album. And Aww. people would flip through it and go, oh, look, there's so-and-so. And the dog would have been dead five years, right? But it was in, it was in our book. But these are just thinking, what would I like? What would mm-hmm. make me feel important when I came into this practice? How could I make it so, as Cody Krillman calls it, seven-star service? What can yeah. we do that goes so beyond the norm? Um, I mean, he serves nitro brew at FinVet, but that's, you know, maybe we don't have that. Uh, <laughs> I want <but>, that vet. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But, but there's so many things that we can do that are not that costly, but matter. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's as simple as remembering someone's name pronouncing it correctly, remembering the pet's name. And there's there's a whole section in there about how to do that. There's mm-hmm. memory cues and how do you do that? And those are the kind of things that make people easier to work with because when they feel respected and important and listened to, then they're good. I mean, they're wonderful. And our clients, oh my gosh, I used to tell people the first thing that will happen when you come to work here is you will gain 10 pounds. Because our clients are continuously bringing fattening stuff for us to eat. And so that's a good thing. That's a problem you want to have. But that's the kind of relationship that you want to build with your clients. And I know a lot of times we think, oh, I got into the animal health business because I like animals and not people. And I can't even tell you how many times I've heard that. But it's a people business. It's a service business. And when we learn to serve people well, they mirror that back to us and we get to have a great work life. And that, that matters for us. It's a self-serving book. (laughs) (laughs) You can, you can serve others and serve yourself at the same time. Exactly. (laughs) And that is fantastic. And um, a great place, I think, to wrap up. Debbie, will you tell us where we're going to be able to get um, your book, Hospitality and Healthcare? And where, Um, when we'll be able to get our hands on it. Absolutely. Well, you can pre-order it now. There's a page on my website, uh, debbieboonecbpm.com. And you will be able to buy it on Barnes and Nobles and all the major booksellers, Amazon uh, there. We are going to have two book signings at the AVMA convention at the Care Credit booth. So there'll be one Saturday at one and one Sunday at four. And they're going to give away 200 copies of the book. So awesome. I'm very, very grateful to Care Credit for providing that. And I will be also doing a talk about it at AVMA prior to the book signing. So, yeah, there's plenty of places to find it and buy it. And you can follow me on social media. Go to LinkedIn and there's a link on my page um, to, to get the pre-order book. It's weird. Awesome. Well, I'm will... out there July the 3rd. July 3rd is around the corner. So, um, <laughs> yep. So we'll get this podcast out before then so everybody can get ready. But um, hopefully a lot of people listening will be able to join you at AVMA, get a, get a copy and see you speak. Um, but if not, then the book will be, I'm sure you'll be seeing it all over social media too um, as people start to discover it. And I'm really, I'm really excited to see what kind of splash it makes. There's so much good stuff coming out in vet med right now. And um, uh, I just can't thank you enough, Debbie, for your time and your wisdom as always, and for creating this in an astoundingly short amount of time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it only took three months to write, but it took a lifetime to know what to put in the book. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I feel like you, if somebody just stopped you on the street and asked you about any of these topics, you could probably talk to them 
for as long as you needed to about it with no preparation whatsoever. Like, but that preparation has been your entire career. It's <laughs> so. true. Very true. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Katie, and for um, letting me a pick Tucker up so we'll quit barking. <laughs> so now Hi, Tucker. We'll let yeah. you go eat now, buddy. Yes, Tucker says, it's time, it's time. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> well, Debbie oh. Boone, thanks so much for joining us on Central Line. We'll see you in July at right. ADMA. Here in Thank Denver. you so much. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.